Welcome to the Helping Couples Heal podcast, a place for healing and hope for couples impacted by betrayal resulting from infidelity and or sex addiction. Your hosts are Marnie Breaker and Dwayne Osterland, licensed marriage and family therapists, certified sex addiction therapists, and founders of respective treatment centers in Long Beach, Los Angeles, and San Diego, California. Marnie and Dwayne co-created Helping Couples Heal, a comprehensive program for couples recovering from betrayal trauma, including an in-person two-day workshop, an online aftercare program, and this podcast series is the first component of the program. Thank you for listening. Marnie and Dwayne are committed to helping you recover from the devastating impact of betrayal trauma and are honored to support you wherever you may be in your healing. If you've lost hope, you've come to the right place. Now, take a slow, deep breath, and let's begin with the Helping Couples Heal podcast. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Helping Couples Heal podcast. This is Marnie, and I am here with Dwayne. And we are actually going to be talking about something today that was a direct request from a listener and member of our Helping Couples Heal Facebook group. And the reason we've decided to talk about this is because this is actually a question that we hear often and that often comes up in our Helping Couples Heal workshop too, which which has to do with when is it the appropriate time to do couples work. So Dwayne, I'm going to read a portion of what the listener asked us. And I think that that is a great jumping off point for this conversation. Okay. So what, what she said was maybe Marnie and Dwayne will be doing a podcast on this, or maybe I missed it, but I would love some advice on the delicate dance of when is it appropriate to do couples work? What are the indicators that it is too soon or not soon enough? And then the last part was, which was actually something we hear all too often, which are, which is, What should you be hearing from your therapist or not hearing from your therapist about couples work? And the reason that that question is so important is because um, this particular listener shared that in the past, she feels that she's been pushed to couples work without any safety being established first. And I think that's really the most important thing for us to to talk about here. Yes. Uh, Marnie, I think this is an excellent question. And and I love that this person wrote this out there so that we can discuss it because it is a place where a lot of treatment-induced trauma can happen mm-hmm. if we're not careful. But before we start, I think we need to define when we say couples therapy, what does that mean? It's such an umbrella term that that can mean so many different things to so many people. So let's just talk about that first. And then as we break that down, we can go into some of the things that we do when we work with couples who come into our offices. Sounds good. So the first part is couples therapy. What does that mean? So when I look at couples therapy, I see it in two sections, uh, especially when you're dealing with betrayal trauma. The first part of couples therapy is not about bonding It's not about creating closeness. It's about safety. And what I see happen here a lot is when a therapist, I think although well-meaning, doesn't see the betrayal trauma or doesn't see the um, integrity abuse disorder or the IAD, they'll move the couple into bonding quicker than they should, quicker than it's safe to do that. So 
I know for us that we really focus on that safety piece first to make sure the partner is understood. But with that said, I think it's important to bring the the clients in together to work on that safety piece together. So you can talk about betrayal trauma in front of the person who's done the betrayal and start to validate the partner and validate their trauma. And you do it together almost as a team right away, but that's not about bonding. Exactly. That's a great way to differentiate it, Dwayne. And if we broke it down a little bit more, I think what we could say is what Dwayne is describing here is, yes, it's couples work, or you can look at it as couple therapy if if it's a couple coming into a therapist's office. But really, we would classify that as more of crisis management and establishing safety, right? So like Dwayne said, it's actually quite important in the early stages after discovery to, as long as there's not violence happening, right? If there's obviously, if people can't be in the same room uh, without violence or, you know, with so much escalation and activation that it's not safe for either of the people or for the therapist, then in that case, it would not be indicated to have any um, couple work at that point and, and individual stabilization of the, you know, the crisis and trauma has to occur. But I don't see that happening very often. I've actually, when I have a couple that come in in the very early stages and there's a lot of trauma, the crisis management that I provide, I think also helps the couple deescalate and find more of a sense of, of grounding because we are talking specifically about boundaries. We are giving them real um, guidance in how to help come up with a plan so that both people in the relationship, but you know, first and foremost, the partner who has been betrayed can feel safe. Right. I call this phase uh, scaffolding. It's like we're creating a scaffolding of safety and a structure to be able to have interactions that are not going to be traumatizing. So most of the time we're dealing with uh, couples where there's there, there is a lot of trauma on both sides of it. They're both super activated. They are both under a threat response. And so they're very emotional and often there's a lot of emotional responding. And so by creating a structure, a scaffold, we hold that in place for a little while as we generate enough safety. And what also I think this, if if the person who's done the betrayal is willing to do this scaffold and work on creating this scaffold for the relationship, it's a good indication that they're going to be engaged in trying to do some of this work or make the relationship better. If they're resisting the scaffolding, then I think that might say something else as well. Agreed. And I think that it is up to the therapist to tell a couple when they are coming in at this stage after the discovery of of either sex addiction or betrayal, to tell the couple, we are not going to be doing this deep work and trying to help bring closeness and bonding and all of that, that, that you're coming in for crisis management, stabilization, and scaffolding, and explaining what the relational triage model would look like. Because I think for 
somebody who's coming in who has betrayed their partner, oftentimes that person is ready to talk about whatever relational issues were going on beforehand and that the partner has some sort of, um, what's the word, some sort of role in this, even though she didn't cause the betrayal, but there's all sorts of stuff that, you know, he wants to talk about. And it's the therapist's job to say, well, we're not going to be doing that. If you, if you're going to come in at this stage, we need to do some other things first. There needs to be this relational triage where your partner's trauma gets addressed first. She's the one hemorrhaging and you will have your say. You will have a lot of time to talk about what you need to talk about after there has been some stabilization and trauma resolution. Right. And when you do this as a couple, I think it really puts everybody on the same page so that everybody knows what's going on, which is another element of safety for a betrayed partner. If they can predict their environment more or predict or know what's going on, they're going to feel a little more safe. And then I think in a way, it also helps the person who's done the betrayal feel a little bit safer because they know what to do. And so they also have some structure. So this structure really uh, benefits everyone involved and helps the relationship begin to uh, move through the betrayal trauma. Absolutely. So why don't we spend a couple of minutes then really breaking down what specifically happens just in a concrete way in that early stage couple work, right, which we're talking about, about crisis management, and then what would happen in that next later stage of, you know, of couple therapy, where we really are moving people towards, you know, secure functioning and, and healthy attachment. So I'll, why don't I start with the first piece, and then I'll turn it over to you for the second. Sounds good. Okay. So in a nutshell, after the discovery of betrayal, the first order of business is to find a therapist that works from a trauma model perspective and a relational triage perspective to bring the couple in and help create safety. And what's what that's about is boundaries and consequences and safety plans and education. Lots of education in the beginning about betrayal trauma, about the process of relational healing after betrayal, about things like clinical disclosure um, and emotional restitution and impact letters and all of that stuff. That's, that's happening in this initial phase. So lots of education, lots of boundaries, and overall creating safety. And then later on in the process, further down the road, after there's been some stabilization and some safety established and the formal disclosure has happened, then we move into the real deep couple work. I think that's a great way to put those two phases together, right? And be able to recognize them. Um, I don't think you can move into this deeper couples work of building attachment until there is this safety. And I think that takes some time uh, to do that. But if, if you have this plan in place, I think a betrayed partner can see the evidence in front of them that the person who's done the betrayal is doing the work. At least they can see more of it. And that visual, that visualization of the behavior can lead to comments of, 
what I see, what I hear from partners is like, I see that he's changing. I start to get that a lot. If that structure's in place for a while, the partner starts to say things like that. I can see that he's making changes. I can see that something is happening here. I don't trust it, but I can see it. And I think that's a that's a starting point that you're on the right track to move into this next phase of attachment. Absolutely. And I, I do want to say, and I believe that you and I talked about doing a separate podcast about this topic. So I'm just going to mention it briefly, and then let's do that. Let's record something separate, um, which is a lot of partners do start to notice the changes and they will tell us and comment on, you know, yeah, I'm seeing, I'm seeing some changes. I know he's working hard. Like there's a significant shift in what I've seen in the past where he wasn't really doing the work and now doing the work and still a partner not feeling like she can trust it and also feeling like even though he's showing up and doing the work, there's not a shift in the day-to-day feeling of um, of connection, feel, like, like there's something missing even though he's doing the work. They're not feeling the real shift in the relationship on a day-to-day basis. And so I think it's important to just note that and to say, yeah, it takes it takes a while and it takes consistency over time. Well, I think what you're talking about is is the feelings, right? You still have all these trauma feelings that are warning you, and rightfully so, that you know you need to listen to that. They have to earn that trust back that uh, that they've broken, and so it's kind of confusing. You're seeing the change in behavior, but you're still feeling the trauma, and it's warning you, don't trust it. So I, I this is a normal part of the process, absolutely. You know, and. And the person who's done the betrayal, uh, if they can recognize that, that that's actually a good sign. If they're saying, I've seen changes, okay, you can build on that and, and you can work to improve that, right? And continue to build that safety. And then once that is done, then you can start doing some exercises that begin to uh, build that secure functioning uh, and that attachment of of closeness, um, but I, I would say because in, in this question on, on Facebook, she also talks about therapeutic disclosures and impact and restitution letters. I think this is all done in that in this first phase as well as as another way of building safety. Um, and so it's still not after after that. You know, you still have to do that, and then get to this attachment building. Yeah, we cannot. I I mean, I don't think we can stress enough how, how inappropriate and unethical it would be for somebody to try to create healthy, secure attachment and and functioning with a couple where there's no safety and there's no reason to have safety when there's been this, you know, this big betrayal and this big break. Um, And, you know, that's attachment trauma. That's, that's serious stuff we're talking about. So to try to have a betrayed partner feel close right away to the person that's betrayed them, it doesn't work because there's no reason for her to feel safe and to, right, to come forward. And something else I think is really important to mention is oftentimes couples do move from that early stage crisis work, you know, to more of this attachment-based work, more of the deeper connection work, right, in therapy. But 
we still see with betrayal lots of ruptures. So I just want to say the reason that that's so common and so normal is because remember, like Dwayne said a little while ago, triggers are still happening. We live in a society where, I mean, I think most partners can be triggered every day you know, sometimes multiple times a day. Um, hopefully with time and space and healing, the triggers lessen in, in frequency and also the impact of those triggers lessen, right? But they still happen. You know, you can have a couple that's doing some really wonderful work together. There's been all sorts of safety measures in place and boundaries and things are going really well. And then they're watching a television show together or they go to a movie and there's a scene that's really triggering. And so suddenly that partner can be right back to, I'm not safe. And this could be a real source of frustration and sometimes anger on the part of the person who's done the betraying, who's really working hard to make things better. And I'd also say these two phases that we see in couples therapy, the safety building, scaffolding, structure building, and then moving to attachment and closeness, right in between there is a lot of times where couples get stuck. But what I want to say is that I think both of these things should be done in couples together as a team, um, building this structure and scaffolding so that you understand what's going on and everybody's on the same page. And with um, a therapist that knows how to manage that or a coach that knows how to manage that, they're able to manage those those phases together and move the client through them. Yeah, and if we, if we go with your scaffolding metaphor, it's sort of like if, if the couple contacts a therapist in the crisis and the aftermath of the discovery, then really that scaffolding phase is, even before that, it's creating a blueprint. It's like, what's this house going to look like? You go to the, you call the architect and you drop the plans, but nobody is even starting to to do the work and to get in there and do the construction, right? That like the scaffolding hasn't even happened. So really looking at this very long process, and a skilled therapist can take you through from beginning to end, uh, as long as you know they're clear about what the goals are, and as long as they are not pushing toward you know pushing a couple towards that developing closeness, connection, and secure attachment before the safety has has started. So think about it in stages. Come in, get the blueprints and, and drop the plans, start to create some scaffolding, make sure that there's a safe foundation, and then go in and bring in the construction workers and all the stuff and like and build the house. Right. And then and right. then after that, then you move into the house. That takes a while. Yeah, I think that's a that's a great metaphor, and 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 I and I like that to be able to think of it in in that way. I will say that these things are fluid too. It doesn't mean that bonding things can't happen during the scaffolding building. It could, and it could be there, right? Um, so to to be aware of that too. This is not black and white. It's not like this is it. This is that. It's very organic, and you have to get that help that will support you in 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 doing that because it's flowing. We see lots of moments of connection uh between co- you know partners in a coupleship even early on, even during the crisis management. They might be fleeting, they might be very very uh, momentary, but we see that and those those moments are still important. 
those moments are still moments that create even the belief and the hope that there can be more moments. And, you know, so, so we're not, we're not wanting to say that in that early stage, there's going to be no feeling of connection and intimacy at all. Um, I think that we start, we start to see that pretty soon when we're doing good work, but feeling moments of connection can also be more painful to a partner and even to, you know, to both because the partner might have that feeling for one second or split second or even a 30 seconds. And then they're craving more. And then they remember what this person has done to them. And right. And then that can become triggering and there is a trauma response. So just really, I want to leave you guys with this, with this idea uh, and let it percolate that this is a process. And like Dwayne said, it's not linear and there's no one way, right? But it, it takes a long time and there can be lots of steps forward and then lots of steps back and then baby steps forward and then big steps back. And it's all part of the process. So personally, I want to say thank you to the woman who uh, kindly asked us to talk about this topic and who put it out because I think it's going to be very helpful for a lot of people. Absolutely. And and one of my guiding beliefs in doing healing work is that we heal through relationships. So relationships with friends, close individuals, therapists, coaches, we heal through those relationships and the relationship itself. So a lot of these things too can be worked through um, as a couple as well, as part of that component, even working with the integrity abuse disorder, I think can be done in the coupleship, but it's challenging and, um, there'll be ups and downs. I I agree with you. And and the last thing I want to say, excuse me, Dwayne, is that, um, Oftentimes, and we did a whole episode on this, the partner's intuition or second brain gets damaged, right? Her gut instinct gets damaged as a result of the years of gaslighting and denial and all of that. Um, and so I think that in the in that that request, that post that the listener gave us, she said, I, I feel like I was I was pushed too fast in the past to do this couple's work. So I want to say part of the healing process to all of you betrayed partners is restoring and healing your relationship with your second brain, with your own intuition. So if you are working with a couple, a couple's therapist or any therapist for that matter, or any coach, anybody in the helping profession, and you feel, you know, that instinct telling you, this doesn't feel right. This feels too fast. I'm not comfortable. Please, please listen to that instinct. And it doesn't mean you run out of the door and you never come back, but put your hand up and say, whoa, this is how I'm feeling right now. This, you know, this feels too fast. This feels uncomfortable. I have questions about why you're making this suggestion, you know, because that's what's going to help you restore your relationship with yourself. Marnie, that is so well said. And and I'm glad you're bringing that point up. Advocate for yourself, advocate for yourself. And if, and if it feels that way, yes, please, please listen to that and, and say it. And, and hopefully whoever you're getting help from can hear that and listen to it. And if you continue to feel pushed, go get a second opinion from someone else. Go talk to somebody else. Go 
Go and advocate for yourself. You deserve it. Please remember that Helping Couples Heal has wonderful coaches that can work with people from all over the world. And so if you are needing support and guidance, please reach out to us and uh, we will do our very best to find somebody that's able to help you. And also um, feel free to all of you listeners, feel free to, to send us requests and um, things that you want us to talk about. Because, you know, again, our goal is to be here to answer your questions, um, not push our own agenda. So we love hearing from you. Thank you to all who have sent in suggestions and requests. We are grateful for that. And we continue to be so humbled by your trust and in your faith in us. And we look forward to continuing to support you on your path. All right, everyone. We will see you on the next episode. Take care. Thank you for listening to the Helping Couples Heal podcast, where your healing is the number one priority. If you'd like additional resources about betrayal trauma or to learn more about the workshop, please visit helpingcouplesheal.com. If you're finding the podcast helpful, please support Dwayne and Marnie in continuing to reach others impacted by betrayal trauma. If you are finding the podcast helpful, Please support Marnie and Duane in continuing to reach others impacted by betrayal trauma by leaving a review on iTunes and sharing this podcast with someone you care about. Once again, thank you for listening. We're grateful for your trust and look forward to continuing to support you on your journey of healing.